0: I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Pretty familiar verse to us, our passage, I should say. As we continue on, I began last week. uh, study entitled Back to the Basics. We looked at the Bible last week to set the groundwork for everything. Of course, we know now the Word of God is our ultimate authority. We appeal to not church councils or what the Southern Baptist Convention might have to say, but we, in matters of dispute and doctrine and teaching, uh, we look to the Word of God, which is inspired, inerrant, and infallible. There's no mistakes in the Word of God. And so when we are looking for answers, the Word of God is our ultimate authority. This morning, we will look at another basic doctrine, and that is that of salvation. So I think the most um, concise passage of scripture that speaks of salvation is found in Ephesians chapter 2 and we're looking at verses 1 through 10 this morning so if you find your place if you're able let's stand to be honor the reading of God's word Ephesians chapter number 2 beginning with verse number 1 and the word of God says and you hath he quickened who are dead and trespasses and sins Where in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, Wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace you're saved, hath, hath, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. Let's pray. Father, we bow before you this morning, thanking you for all your blessings that you've given us. Father, as we have read your word, Father, we know that your word is inspired and inerrant and infallible. That, Lord, whatever you have intentions of this morning your word will hit the mark for it does not return void so father i pray lord that if there is one among us that is lost i pray that this message of salvation will convict their hearts and draw them to you father i pray that you speak to us to remind us lord those that are saved that have been born again Lord, just what a blessing it is that we have been saved by grace through faith. That is not something that we have earned, but it is something that you have purely out of your love and mercy given to us. So, Father, I ask your blessings upon this reading of your word. I ask your blessings upon the message. Lord God, hide me behind the cross. Speak to our hearts now. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Salvation is our topic this morning. If we were to go around and... Uh, Not really in churches But just go around and and ask people About what they believe about salvation How to be saved If they want to go to heaven We'd probably come up with a a bunch of different answers I'm sure that a lot of uh, people If you was to ask them They all want to go to heaven Amen. Everybody wants to go to heaven Even people that might not even believe in afterlife They'd say that if there is one They would want to go to heaven Because deep down, people do know that there is an afterlife. But how do you get to heaven? What does one have to do to be saved? We could ask that question and we might find a variety of different answers. We might ask that question and one might say, well, uh, you just have to be a good person. The good will have to outweigh the bad. Or, Or maybe if you just believe hard enough, you can go there. Maybe if you could just... Be a church member. You can go to heaven. And so people believe all sorts of things about salvation. They might believe that uh, church membership will get them to heaven. Or the Lord's Supper, taking communion, speaking in tongues. All these of uh, different things they believe will be their way of salvation. But I'm not interested in what other people might have to say about how to get to heaven. I'm not interested in what somebody might tell me about heaven and how to get there, about salvation. What we need to be interested in this morning is what does God say about salvation? What does God say about our entrance into heaven? How does God's word tell us that we must be saved? I believe we find that in our text and so that's what i want us to look at there's three headings for us this morning if you're taking notes number one we're going to look at sin verses one through three and then verses four through seven we're going to look at god and then in verses eight through ten we're going to look at grace so sin god and grace will be our three points this morning number one let's look at sin This passage speaks to us about sin and the gravity of sin. This passage speaks to us about how hard and how dangerous sin can be. For it says in our text, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. It says in verse number 2, "...where in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh." Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we're by nature the children of wrath, even as others. The first thing it begins to tell us is that it begins to tell us that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Now, when the Bible speaks of death, uh, there's one instance. Uh, we know what we know what dead means, don't we? I mean, let's not. We're not going to play stupid, and we know that that dead means dead. If you're dead, you're not alive. But when, what realm does it mean that we're dead? Does it mean that we're physically dead in our trespasses and sins? In one instance, you might say that it does. Because at the very moment somebody is born, they begin to die. I mean, you, you can be born in one minute and then die the next. How many children are born uh, uh, dead every day and every year? It's a constant thing. But yet, So it could be a physical death because eventually, because of sin that has entered into the world, we will die. But then also it could be, and I believe that this is what it is speaking of, a spiritual death. And to be spiritually dead means this. When you die, there's a physical aspect. You can see this through the physical aspect. When you die physically, there's a separation that takes place. Your spirit is separated from your body. And your spirit goes either to heaven or goes to hell. And so there's that separation that comes with it. What does it mean to be spiritually dead? Spiritually dead simply means that you are separated from God spiritually. And that is the course of all mankind. We are spiritually separated in the realm of sin and trespasses my, from god he says we are dead in trespasses and sins we are separated from god we have no sight of god we have no fear of god we want nothing to do with god but what we do want to do with uh we have our sin nature and that's what we love and that's what we desire to fulfill we are dead in our trespasses and sins it says we are uh walking the course of this world The course of this world means the world in which the way goes. In Galatians chapter 1 verse number 4, it refers to the present evil world. And so when it talks about the world, it means of the evil world system that is at enmity with God. It is at uh, war with God. God, mankind in this world wants nothing to do with God. Everywhere you turn, there are laws being made about you can't speak about God or you can speak generically about God. But if you get down to it, you can only speak about any uh, generic God, but you can't speak of Jesus Christ. So the world hates God. The world, let me rephrase that the world hates the one true God. You can be religious all you want to. You can believe in any gods you want to in this world. But if you speak the name of Christ, the world gets ticked. And they despise the name of Christ. So the present evil world system is at an enmity with God. It is an enemy of God. Mankind is enemies of God. It says according to the course of this world and according to the prince of the power of the air. In John 12:31, it refers to Satan as the prince of this world. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number four, it mentions the God of this world. This in our text is a reference to Satan himself, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. And that speaks of anybody. This children of disobedience speaks of anybody that is without Christ in the world. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are without Christ and you are a child of disobedience because you are disobeying God by remaining in your sin. Week after week you will come into church, hear sermon after sermon. But if you remain in your sin after hearing the gospel preached and fail to, to fall on your knees and cry out to God and His Son Jesus Christ for salvation, you are disobeying God. The Word of God or the Gospel of Jesus Christ is a command. Believe the Gospel. Believe in Jesus Christ. It is a command. And if you fail to do that, you are in disobedience towards God. And so this spirit, this evil, wicked spirit that comes from Satan... That we are tempted and drawn away by the wiles of the devil, according to later on in Ephesians chapter 6. He's working in these children of disobedience. And you may think to yourself, well I've been growing up in a Christian household, or I've been in church my entire life, surely That wouldn't be referencing me. Now when Paul is writing. He is writing in the past tense to the Ephesian church. He's writing believers. But listen to this. He is writing to remind them in this passage. Just what they were before they came to know Christ. He says we all. He says among whom also we all. He's referring to himself in the church that he's writing to. We all had our conversation or that word means lifestyle. We all lived a life. In the times past, before we came to know Christ, what that means. Uh, in the lust of our flesh. And we fulfilled the desires of the flesh and of the mind. He says, and we were by nature, get that, by nature, the children of wrath, even as others. He's speaking of their sin. He speaks and he says, you, we've walked around in the lusts of our flesh, the desires of our flesh. That speaks of, really, this humanistic society that we live in even today we live in a world where people say if it feels good do it. Live your life the way you want to live it. if if what you want to do feels good then by all means do it because you only get one life and you should be able to live it to its what they'll say your fullest extent. Folks that's a lie straight out of Satan straight out of hell. The desires of the flesh and of the mind, and really and truly, these people that say that, if they knew the implications of what they were saying, they wouldn't be saying it. Say, so what do you mean? Live your life. Whatever feels good, do it. Well, what if somebody you could respond back to this and say, Well, what if it felt good for somebody to go and uh, rape your mother or kill your father? They wouldn't have so much to say to them, would they? So it's a lie to say, go ahead and fulfill the desires of the flesh. What about the mind? The Bible says in Genesis 6 it talks about our imaginations are only evil continually. The lust of the flesh is that which feels good, the desires of the flesh and of the mind, that speaks of the choices that we would make that would uh, defy God. Might not necessarily be with the stuff that you as far as feeling good physically but if you had that mindset that you know, if I just up and left my family, I could make a whole lot more money on offshore doing something else. Now do you really think that would be something that God would want you to do? That's a wicked thought. It needs to be pushed out. But that of the mind defines the choices that we make that defy God's law. And he says this was us. He says this was everybody. Notice that word all. This includes Jews and Gentiles alike. Everybody. Live this lifestyle. Everybody fulfilled at one point in their life the lust of the flesh, the desires of the flesh and of the mind. He says, and when you were living that life outside of Christ, he says, you were by nature a child of wrath. In other words, the wrath of God abided on you. You had one destiny before God comes in. Before God, you had one place that you were headed, and you were headed straight towards the wrath of God to be poured out upon you. That is the ultimate ending point, ending place, for mankind that disobeys, disrespects, and rejects God. The wrath of God will be poured out upon you. Sin is not some little thing to be winked at. Sin is not some little thing that we should be taking lightly because God doesn't take it lightly. Any little lie is still a lie in the eyes of God. Any lustful thought, according to Jesus, is still adultery in the eyes of God. So he addresses sin. The Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Each person in here has sinned. And if you have not come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I implore you, do that today. Now is the accepted day. Today is the day of salvation. So he mentions sin. But then in verses 4-7, through we talk about God. He mentions sin, he goes through and he's talked about uh, the children of wrath, even as others. And, and how the wrath of God uh, abides on us. But in verse number 4 he says, but God. Isn't that a great phrase? After you hear about the wrath of God and the being the children of wrath. And hearing that the wrath of God will be, will be poured out upon the world of unbelievers. We see this phrase, but God. God, the supreme creator. The giver of law. The righteous judge. But God. A holy God. That allows no sin to enter into his presence. That allows no wickedness in his sight. But God who is rich in mercy notice that clause to that phrase he we know God owns the cattle on a thousand hills don't he 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 has he owns everything he created everything we speak about the abundant riches of Christ God doesn't need anything he is rich beyond anybody's imagination but when Paul is writing he's not speaking about his Riches as far as money and gold. I mean, let, God is so rich that the streets are paved with gold. But He's rich in mercy. We often think about being rich, don't we? <laughs> I do. Adam tells me. Adam tells me all the time about if he had a, a billion dollars, of stuff that he would do with it. Usually has to do with Legos. <laughs> But rich in mercy. You know, we often hear that. You know, we often make those statements. You know, if I was God, I would do this. And usually when people say that, I'm I'm usually thinking to myself, well, I'm glad you're not God. Because when they say that, usually it's referring to somebody that's done something wrong and they would say if I was God I would completely wipe that person out but God he is a vengeful God he is a a God that that will pour out his wrath but He's also says here rich in mercy and so while we deserve the wrath of God while we deserve the vengeance of God while we deserve death and hell It says He is rich. He has an overabundance of mercy. And look at this. For His great love wherewith He loved us. It's because of His love that He pours out that mercy. And He shows us His love. For God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we deserve to be wiped off the map. While we deserve for him to, to completely annihilate us and throw us into a devil's hell. He looked down at this wicked, sinful creation. And he says, I'm going to love them anyway. He says, I'm going to love them anyway. But how? Does he show his love? He says in verse number 5. Even when we were dead in sins. There's that phrase again. Dead in sins. He says he has quickened us. Or that word means to be made alive. Together with Christ. By grace are you saved. God's love sent Christ to die in our place. All those sins that we've committed past, present, and future were all laid upon Jesus Christ at Calvary. Arms stretched out, he took the sins of the world upon himself, and he died for wicked mankind. So all you must do is, we'll get to it in a second, is put your faith in Him. Come to Him and say, Lord, forgive me. He begins verse number 5 with this word, even. That speaks of astonishment. Even Paul is astonished at the grace and mercy of God. He looks at himself and who he was and looks around at the world and, see, and says, how can this be? How can this holy, righteous God love us so much that he sends Christ to die in our place? It says that in the ages that he has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The Bible speaks about us ruling and reigning with Christ. Paul's writing in present tense. He says because of Christ and because of who God is, we might as well just say we're doing it now. Present tense. We're already up there. Why? Because when God says something, God does it. When God says He's going to save you, He's going to save you. There's nobody that's ever been born again that has ever slipped through the fingers of God. He says, once you're in my hands, no one is able to pluck you from them. So he says in verse number seven, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward toward us. Through Jesus Christ. As I was studying this passage, I came across a a story of a, I believe it was a queen. And uh, this in this story the this uh, this man came in to, to see the queen. He was a higher authority from another kingdom, and he comes in to, to see this queen and and uh, he says, Your majesty, he says, I must ask. He says Where are your jewels? I want to see your jewels. And she says. By all means. And one by one. She calls her children in there. And says. These are my jewels. You know it's the same way with Christ. According to verse number 7. He's showing us off. To the world. He He says. This person. Who was once a. Train wreck of a person. A drunkard, a drug addict. No direction in life. This person, I took and made him mine. Which reminds me to say, don't ever be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Because he is not ashamed of us. Sin, God, a holy God, has decided to save sinners. But how has he decided to do that? Verse number 8. He says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So many people are convinced by television, different religions, philosophies. That salvation comes by what's really being a good person. Some denominations that call themselves Christians teach that salvation comes through water baptism. Salvation comes through taking of the Eucharist or communion. praying to the saints so called they're convinced that there's all these different things that they must do to merit salvation Muslims believe that in order to go to heaven you can uh, perform what they call the five pillars of Islam or to go directly there just blow yourself up in a jihad holy war The Jewish people, they have rejected Christ, so they still believe in a works based religion. Some people just believe that you don't have to be any religion at all, that just because some people teach this, that because Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world, that eventually everybody will be saved. But what does the Bible say? Bible rejects all of those ideas and philosophies. The Bible says not everyone will be saved. Bible says, "Narrows the gate; few there be, few there be that find it." Bible says Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. You must go through Christ to get there. So he says in verse number 8, by grace are you saved through faith. In other words, God doesn't have to save you. God did not have to send Jesus Christ to die in your place. But because he is a loving God and wants to show his love toward his creation, he sent Jesus Christ to die for us. So he says it's by grace you are saved. If God was to take this entire world and the people in it and burn it up and cast it into hell, he would be just in doing that. But on the also equal side, he's just as just and righteous to extend grace and mercy and accept those that come to him in faith. It says, by grace are you saved through faith. Faith is believing in Jesus Christ. Putting coming to Him for salvation and that not of yourselves. Nothing of salvation is of ourselves. It is a gift of God, it says. And I'll stop right there. This gift of God. There's many a denomination that teaches that though you can come to Christ and be saved, that you can do something. Sinful and lose that salvation. As John MacArthur once said, if my salvation depended on me and I could lose it, I would. But our salvation is not dependent upon us, it's dependent upon Christ, who has promised that He will never leave us nor forsake us. No one will be able to snatch us out of His hands. Salvation does not come by works, it says, not of works lest any man should boast. Just think of the cocky and arrogant people that would be in heaven for all eternity if you could merit your own salvation. Especially the men. I've mentioned before, if, if I do something that I've never done before, like, like I mentioned changing the, uh, learning how to change a universal joint. Man, I I bragged about that for I don't know how long. Imagine if I earned my way to heaven and worked my way to heaven. That'd be something I could really boast about, right? But God says it's not of works. It's nothing you have done, but it's what Christ has done on the cross. So with salvation, we must look to him. And, and when we look to him and, and come to him in faith, that's when it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Paul would later write in Second uh, Corinthians 5 that, that uh, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. We are his workmanship. He is working on us and in us to accomplish his good pleasure. He's ordained. That we as his children should walk in good works. Follow in good works. He is working in us and through us. Good works do not come because of uh, to earn salvation, but good works come because we have been saved and Christ works in us to accomplish these good works. Certain people, uh, certain denominations and religions, they get those mixed up. You must. Do good works to earn salvation. No, the Bible says salvation produces good works. James says, uh, faith without works is dead. Show me your faith without works and I will show you my faith by my works. This morning I wonder if we have any works or fruits, as Jesus would call them, that would show that we are children of God, that we are His. But this is salvation. If you know of anybody that thinks that you can earn your way into heaven. Beg and plead with them and say no you can't. You're, you're going to end up in hell if you think you can do it on your own. If you're here this morning. And, and you've grown cold to the gospel in the world around you and you think that you're better than other people because you don't do certain things and act certain ways you need to be falling on your face and thinking God that you're not like that anymore because it's not of anything you've done it's because Jesus Christ saved you all you did was turn to him in faith and when not for the grace of God you would still be in that sinful, sin wrecked position But God is showing his love towards us and to the world through providing salvation through Christ. So this morning, if you don't know Christ as Lord and Savior, I implore you, come to him in faith and he won't cast you out. He'll never leave you. Friends, family members, different relationships you might have, those there's a tendency that they might leave you. Jesus Christ will never leave you. He'll never turn his back on you. But he'll love you all the more. This morning, if you don't know Christ, I implore you, repent of your sins, turn to him in faith. And he'll save you because of his grace and his mercy. This morning, thank God for his grace and his mercy that he has shown upon you if you're saved. That if it was not for him, that who knows where you would be? Who knows what you would be? Who knows if you'd even be alive today? if it wasn't for him showing grace and mercy. So we stand to our feet for our final hymn of invitation. Pray with me. Thank you for joining us for our broadcast. I hope you'll join us again next time with Rick Clark Ministries.